Welcome to another episode of Miles Moore Madness. I'm CJ Moore, joined as always by Coach Tim Miles. Tim, how was your weekend? How is you're in beautiful Milwaukee today? Is that right? I'm in Milwaukee. Yeah, at the Fister Hotel. It's a tremendous spot. The the uh, Chicago Bulls were just walking out. So maybe I'm not supposed to say that. Oh, oh well. I I I doubt many uh, Bulls fans are. Yeah, I doubt many Bulls fans, if they still exist, are listening to this. Um, and even if they do exist, would they even want to see these guys right now? So I think I think the Bulls are safe. So I didn't watch many games this weekend because I was at Wichita State for the Houston game. Um, you know, spent spent most of the day there. Had to drive home, and then yesterday, how about them Chiefs, Timmy? Let's hear it. I want to hear. I'm. First of all, congratulations. I'm happy for you. First time since Super Bowl four. Tell me about the game. Tell me about the experience in just a couple minutes if you can. It was uh, pretty awesome. It was ridiculously cold, but uh, pretty much put on all my clothes. Uh, At the last minute, was able to get my son a ticket. So my 12-year-old son, Braden, um, was able to join me and me and three of my best friends. Uh, we were in about 15-yard line, 26 rows up, had great seats. To uh, experience that with your son is something I'll probably never forget. And uh, I'm, I'm just getting goosebumps thinking about it right now. It was uh, it was pretty neat experience. Um, pretty pumped that the Chiefs – I mean, I've been waiting my whole life to see the Chiefs make a Super Bowl. So um, that, was, that was pretty cool. Um, still nervous about two weeks away, but uh, I, I'm – also really really excited that's that's something that's on the uh like when you have sport bucket list i think watching your team make it to a super bowl has got to be up there yeah i'd say that's pretty cool you should get your 12 year old son tickets to the super bowl yeah that's uh i don't get paid enough to uh, (laughs) make that happen as soon as uh the game was over um, they like put some kind of graphic on the video board, like, you know, for Chiefs fans, Hey, get your, get your Super Bowl tickets. And so, um, one of the guys who's with us was season ticket holder. He like pulls it up and, um, he's got in, he, he's shown me and it's like the cheapest ticket through the chiefs. If you're like, a, I think he, I think he's a season ticket holder is up top is like maybe $5,600 or something like that. And to get um, in the lower level, like minimum, like six something grand, so uh, that's that's not in the budget at the uh, the Moore household. We will be enjoying it from our uh, couch and watching on our big television. I, if you want to neglect your kids, that's fine. It's it's, uh, it's up to you. I I took my kid to the game where the Chiefs made it to the Super Bowl. So uh, if you're calling that neglecting the kid, I'm and, and plus then I have to get to Miami. In the middle of college basketball season, it's not happening, Tim. But uh, but one of my friends might be going, and uh, I'm actually gonna probably be writing about that uh, later this week. It's it's a long, um, pretty crazy story, but um, gonna be writing about that later this week, I think. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun uh, season for the Chiefs. It's gonna be continue to be fun because Patrick Mahomes is awesome. But. Uh, Wanted to uh, hit a couple things today. You know, since I didn't get to watch a bunch of games, I thought we'd we'd hit on some coaching strategy topics um, that would be fun. Go ahead. We we can't just talk about the picks. 
did you crush me? I mean, that, we, we saved that for later in the week, Tim. Did, did you have such a good weekend? Did you have such a good weekend you want to gloat? I guess we'll just have to wait. I mean, it's fine by me. The results are not going to change, but let's just say old Timmy boy. Old Timmy! <laughs> you cleaned up? I I don't even uh I don't even know what the f- the final records were for the weekend. I know I wasn't doing great, but uh I haven't I haven't uh pulled up the spreadsheet yet. And um I'm I'm pretty sure you made up some ground, but it's okay. It I it doesn't nothing matters to me right now cuz the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, so you can't you can't bring me down. Understood. Let's let's talk about coaching. All right, let's let's talk about coaching. So, um Brian Bennett uh, of the athletic who does great work was, uh, in Arkansas this weekend and, um, wrote a story on Eric Musselman, uh, behind the scenes piece, um, for the Arkansas Kentucky game. Uh, great story and encourage people to go, go check it out. But there's a couple must topics that, uh, one that, that I, you know, I listened to a week ago and I wanted to t- discuss. And then I thought there were a couple things from the story that we could get into some, some coaching conversations, about so so the first thing I want to ask you about Tim is um, he had a rant which I tweeted out uh, about a week ago and I can retweet again uh, for the listeners if um, and you know attach it to the the pod link this week or today but um, he had a rant about rotations and only playing. Um, so many guys, and, and he said, you know, he said in this rant, when he's wearing the Tyson shirt, which you re- referenced last week, which was pretty awesome. Um, as an assistant coach, he said he noticed there was always like four guys that were unhappy because they weren't playing. And he said, you know, in the NBA, you need depth. But in college, you play 30 games. Guys are young. Um, he says he thought depth was, <clears throat> excuse me, way overrated in college and didn't like walking into a locker room and having guys not happy with their minutes. So he's always wanted four guys sitting out or have open scholarships. So basically only using like nine of the 13 for guys who can play. Um, and that way you can tr- control your team in the locker room. Um, so he sees a lot limited rostered size, worked, has worked to his benefit. Um, sees teams play more people because they think they're going to wear them down, like when they're playing Arkansas or some of his teams, and he says you're just not going to wear us down. So wanted to get your thoughts on this, Tim. This is something that I think is really smart, and I've actually talked to some coaches about this in the past, about how like 13 guys, having 13 guys eligible is just too many. That's going to lead to transfers. It's going to lead to hurt feelings. Um, How would you try to work your roster in this way? Is it possible? And, And do you think Muss is on to something here? Well, I like the fact you call him Muss. Is that his own, what, pronoun? What, what would we call that? His own nickname? Yeah, yeah. I think he calls, uh, he, they've got the Muss bus at, uh, at Arkansas. I think that they take the, uh, the students into the game on or something like that that was referenced in the article. But, yeah, it's just a lot easier than saying Muscleman. Yeah, I remember when I was at Colorado State, my wife thought that, we should name the student section the Miles High Club, and and I, I said, honey, which which reference do you think will go wrong for us, the drug or the sex one? And uh, so we were uh, Moby Madness or Moby Baniacs or something like that. But um, I think Eric, Eric Musselman's done a phenomenal job, um, not only just allowing so many other coaches just to wear coaching shirts and and regular pants during a uh, game you know a regular season game but he's also done a great job re-energizing arkansas you can see it and eric's a smart you know coach his dad bill musman was a 
big time college coach, a big time professional coach, and and obviously you know Eric learned from him, and and he's also been an NBA head coach, so he's got a lot of credibility, and he knows what he's doing, and and I agree with the uh, the smaller squad size. In fact, uh, when you tweeted that last time, I also replied on a tweet. Beheim says ten. Uh, I've been with Jim and heard him say. Uh, you know, I play 10. I mean, I've got 10 scholarships. Usually we use 10. And certainly that changes year to year. That might have been a two or three year little run where you're in the moment. Now maybe he's used, you know, all 13 each year. But I, I don't know. I don't pay that close of attention. But it's always nice to have guys sit out. Here's why. One, you don't have the four grumpy bears in the locker room, which is nice to eliminate. Two, uh, You've got guys sitting out that are probably pretty good and going to take the place of somebody else coming up. And so your practice quality is much better. You're going against, you know, a better uh, group of guys. And they're more energized because those guys are not worried about playing time. They're only worried about this is their time to shine is in practice. So it, it ups the ante that way, too, for the top guys. And then the nice part with the top guys is, you know, you know if there's eight or nine, in the most you really can play is like 10 and that's probably one too many uh you can fit in nine fairly easily uh, uh depending on how the bigs rotate and and eight is a you know what you have to play usually anything less than that can be a little scary so as you look at it as a coach you know the guys that know they're going to come in and they're going to get their run no matter what and not have to worry about that competition of we're three deep at the wing here no, we're only one and a half deep at the wing. You know, we've got another guard that can play the wing, but really, I'm the wing. So you relax and you play a little better, and and but you better be good enough to perform at a high level. Uh, and that's the coach's job to make sure he recruits the right kind of guys, and then can give him a role that he can excel in. Because participation is a big deal. I mean, it's if you talk to any psychologist or whatever, the number one thing of any sport. Uh, it being popular or fun or successful is participation, your opportunity to play. A couple things here. One, on Syracuse, if you look at KimPom.com um, and you go back through the years on Syracuse, they always got at least one guy, usually a couple, that are like near the top of the country in uh, percentage of minutes played. Just looking at this year's team, uh, Elijah Hughes has played 93.9% of their minutes. Um, which ranks 10th in the country. So um, Beheim does usually have a pretty short bench. And, and because he plays zone, maybe it's you know not as quite physically demanding on the defensive end. Plus, I think with as many media timeouts and everything, as many breaks as there are in a college game, and it being only 40 minutes, like I don't think it's super hard for a college kid in the shape that they're in to play like 35-plus minutes, right? Um, I think you can ha- get away with, with playing a, a couple guys like that. The, the other thing is, um, you know, a lot of guys will, will use the transfer to have those guys sitting out, right? Um, because it's, it's, I think it's tough in this day and age to get kids to redshirt. And, um, you know, one, one program that has done a pretty good job of, like, convincing some guys to redshirt is, is Baylor, who sits atop the country right now at number one. But um, – Scott Drew's kind of ha- been able to to use his or control his roster by having the sit out guys and maybe having a red shirt like once every year. But I uh, wanted to ask you, Tim, do you think with the so many guys trying to get waivers these days, um, as a coach, like there's the 
you want to, in a way, you want to get a guy right away, right? Because you always want immediate gratif- satisfaction, immediate gratification. But um, in another way, like, I'm sure there's some coaches that are in have a dilemma to be like, the kid wants to play right away. You have to go, to, go try to get the waiver form. But part of you is probably like, it's probably it's sometimes it's beneficial to you to be able to control your roster to have that that guy sitting out for a year yeah for the reasons i alluded to earlier in practice but also you know i think we had in seven years what five or six all big 10 players at nebraska which in a 14 team league is harder to do than you think when they're only picking 15 guys uh and i if if there was six for the six redshirted so, and now Deshaun Burke, uh, who is at Nebraska, who registered for us last year, is one of their leading scorers. I don't know what he's getting a game. Honestly, I'm, I'm looking on Kempom, but I forgot he doesn't do points per game. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's obviously a high-volume guy for them. But, but I think that is important. Um, a couple of interesting things as we go forward is I like the red shirt. I think they do develop. I, I think it helps them just acclimate to school a little better, fit into the you know the new surroundings a little better, and then kind of re- rediscover their game and and figure out how it fits into what we're doing and have a year to look at it and and try and develop it in practice. And then the next year you really hit the ground running. We had it you know we did it with Tran Petaway who was getting a few points a game, all conference, uh, you know a few points a game at Texas Tech all-conference for us two years in a row at the Huskers. Andrew White, um, not getting much playing time for Kansas, comes, hits the ground running for us, 18 points, eight rebounds a game, and then late transfers and ends up all ACC for Syracuse and Jim Beheim. Uh, and then uh, James Palmer Jr. Uh, also sat out. Uh, and Isaac Copeland came and sat out for a semester and then got immediately eligible, even though he was there for just a semester uh, at the beginning of the season. And they both had very good uh, runs. And then Deshaun Burke was the next one. And all these guys were, you know, uh, all league players. Uh, we had a couple other, Ty Webster and Siobhan Shields, that didn't redshirt that were all league. But, you know, most of those guys that sat out and came from Miami of Florida. Uh, Walt Pitchford sat out and had a, a good season too. Uh, University of Florida, Texas Tech. Minnesota. We've got guys, you know, uh, when I was at Colt Niverson, was an NBA draft pick after not even starting at Minnesota as a junior, sat out one year and then became an NBA draft pick. It was a second round pick for the Celtics in 2013. So I think that redshirt can treat you well. Uh, you know, you talk about uh, two things. One, I think Ken Palm in The Athletic did an article uh, about uh, the amount of minutes a freshman has to play and the proximity of home and the most likelihood they are to sticking in that program. And it was like 25 minutes a game. And the close proximity to home was also another factor, but they didn't necessarily correlate, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, so there was no like, if you only play 10 minutes a game and you're, you're uh, far from home, you're gonna leave. Uh, although that was, seemed like a, you know, that could happen easily. And the other thing with Bayheim and playing high usage guys are, are all these minutes is, you know, we wore the, um, and I think you might have saw it when you were embedded with us. I, uh, Bennett was embedded with Mus, uh, with uh, you know the uh, the information where how much energy you're spending a game, how many miles you ran. I forget. Uh, I, I just can't think of the name of it right now. 
And, um, and when we played more zone than man, it was amazing how much less energy we spent um, in that game. And that, that, that I always wondered why, you know, maybe that has an impact to why Bayheim is actually pretty good, it seems like, in the NCAA tournament. He's had some teams that you didn't think would make the Final Four that did make a huge run in the Final Four. Maybe they're just a little fresher. I think it's something to consider. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I um, although I, I I hate anything that uh, encourages coaches to play zone because I hate some zone defense. <laughs> well, just don't do it when they're third graders, man. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's uh, as someone who coaches seventh grade basketball uh, has coached youth basketball for a while. Any coach who plays zone defense, if you're if you're a youth coach and you're listening to this. Do your kids a favor and teach them man-to-man defense and don't even play zone ever, whether it's going to help you win a game or not. Who cares? They're kids. Teach them the game. So that's my uh, that's my high horse rant for the day. I like it. You, I mean, you're in such a good mood from the Chiefs, you don't even have a good rant. <laughs> not quite as uh, impassioned as my officiating rant. But, um, you know, another thing for the coaches that are listening um, – maybe the, the college coaches or high school coaches. Um, another thing that's part of that story is um, Musselman, I, I thought this was interesting, for their film sessions. Um, you know, like all of these these high major schools, you had one, Tim at Nebraska, everybody's got one. Hey, they have like these fancy film rooms with like these comfortable, lazy boy-like chairs. Um, and he does at, – at Arkansas, he's not even using it. They barely even enter that room. Um, they set up like plastic chairs on the court and they basically uh, have a TV right out there on the court and that's where they do their film. So they can basically go um, back and forth if they want to. Like they, he can show them something and then go right back to practice. Um, and it's basically on keeping guys engaged, right? Like um, so, you know, in those comfortable, dark film rooms, like it's easy to kind of yawn, you know, go off in another world. Um, did you do anything to, to keep players engaged? What do you think of that, uh, that strategy? Cause, cause there's always a debate. There's always a debate with coaches, like how much film do we watch? Um, or how much film do we show the kids? How much time do we spend on this? Um, because there, there is probably a point where sometimes it can be too much, even though you're tempted, you want to show them so much. Well, I think a few things on that topic. One, I think it's good to surprise them on occasion and change it up, change the stimulus. So maybe instead of watching film, you'd watch a, a bit of a 30 for 30 or a motivational thing or just change it up a little, you know, maybe add a scene of a movie into some of the scout stuff, you know, like a Spartacus moment or something like that. Um, so you try and change it up that way too. We always have gum available. <laughs> and, you know, an active jaw keeps you asleep. If you're, did you know this? The best way to stay awake when you're driving late at night is not chew gum. Uh, it is sunflower seeds, one at a time. So here's what I mean by that, okay? You take a bag of seeds, you go to the convenience store, you get two coffee cups, one empty, one you fill the uh, cup full of seeds. Sit them in your uh, the two cup holders, you drive, you pick one out, break it, eat the seed, take the shell, put it in the trash, so to speak, the other cup, and you do that over and over. And that keeps you awake and it doesn't give you all the salt and everything going with that. A cross-country truck driver, one of my former players' dads told me that. Wow. As someone who's regularly on the road at 1, 2 in the morning, 
driving back from games, I'm, I'm I might take heed of that. <laughs> you have to. Act, so my point is, during film, you have to activate their jaw. But I don't like giving them yeah. seeds. And the last thing is, we do the Bill Parcells bit. If we lose, we put the temperature like if it's at seventy or sixty-seven, we take it down to like sixty-two. And it's just an ice box in the film room. They just freeze their ass off. It's awesome. I mean, they come in. If we play a bad game, they're wrapped in towels. They got sweats on. They know what's coming. We just oh, freeze them. Probably had more colds on uh, on Tim teams on Tim's teams than uh, than your opponents. <laughs> uh, the activate the jaw. The activate the jaw. That's that's uh, if 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 nothing else comes out of this podcast. The activate the jaw. That's pretty priceless. <laughs> I love that. Um, all right. One, one more, uh, one more, or actually I got two more must, must related things, but really these are just coaching things, um, against that, you know, against Kentucky this weekend, they employed for just a couple possessions and then they went away from it, but this was their game plan. They were going to do something called paintball against Ashton Haggins. And the point of it was whoever was guarding him was going to have his feet in the paint at all times, and they were going to basically dare him to shoot jumpers because he hasn't shot a good percentage from the three this year. And, um, you know, he's not a great shooter. So I think more college coaches have been willing to try stuff like this in recent years. Um, If I was a high school coach, I would do it all the time. Like I think you can get a major advantage at that level by scouting and and playing to the scout. Um, I know there's some college coaches who are maybe – still kind of scared to do this kind of thing. Maybe it, the one thing it can do is it can get you away from what your culture is. Maybe like if you're, you're a guy that's really wants to, um, you know, pressure out on in the passing lanes and deny, um, you want that like, so in your kid's head that you don't want to try something crazy like this, where you're not even going to guard a guy, but, but what, what are the kind of the pluses minuses of it in your mind? Um, did you, employ these kinds of tactics very often do you do you look back and say man man maybe i i should have some tried some crazy stuff with the defensive scout or what do you think well it's ironic because if you watch any nebraska uh this year and i've watched them a little bit they're totally not guarding guys at times they're just it's a big fred hoiberg thing he he did that a lot in, at iowa state so so years ago uh don meyer uh god rest his soul did coaching clinics all over, and I went to his clinics for years, worked his camps when I was an NEI assistant. And at the NEI level, a lot of times when you had a big guy that didn't shoot, we employed what we call the dork rules. Now, I know it's a little upsetting. You know, I mean, it's a tough word if you call somebody a dork, but um, you had the dork rules. And the dork rules were like, you know, if, if, the, if the dork comes in the game, everybody stands up and claps because you're happy there's a guy that can't play coming in the game. Um, if you're guarding the dork, you have one foot in the lane at all times. Uh, if he has the ball, you can fake and fade at him. If, uh, if he goes to set a screen, you have to honor his action and go guard the screen. Uh, if uh, they throw it to another player in the post, you can go double. And if he gets it in the post, you can go double him because he's likely to turn it over. And I think you saw that with Calvin Sampson in your article on the monster uh, where they, you know, you can trap anybody, but oftentimes trapping a, you know, a bad player or, or a lower skilled player makes more sense than even a great player. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think you have to look at all the things. So the, the paintball, so to speak, harder to do at the highest levels. Uh, certainly in the Big Ten, it seemed like it was hard to do on a regular basis. 
Uh, just too many skill guys at too many spots. And especially when you're forwards in the Big Ten, those wings and forwards really drive the Big Ten. Uh, they, they just have so many guys. Um, oh, oh, Nebraska did it to Iowa, too. And Iowa goes four for like 33 from the arc because Joe Toussaint's not a great shooter. Connor McCaffrey's not a great shooter. Uh, and then C.J. Frederick was out, and now with C.J. back and Joe Weiskamp, you can you, you, you know you can have a lot more shooting out there. So you got to be careful. So when when you you know you have to be ready for you know those actions. Then if you're not going to guard a guy and that guy becomes a screener, he's a lot more dangerous um, as a screener because you know now you're not guarding him and and the guy getting screened by him, you know there's no help there if you're not alert. So there, I, I think it can be a good idea. We've done it at certain times. Uh, we still unfortunately uh, call it dork uh, because I can't think of anything more clever. Uh, like paintball doesn't do anything for me. And so I get what he's saying and that works for him. But the first time I read uh, we're in paintball, I thought, oh, there's going to be five different guys shooting with something like water guns or, or whatever. You know, like I had this guy getting sprayed with different cut, like we're going to attack him from different directions. So my mind works weird. Uh, so I know if the guy is low skilled or whatever, we're off uh, foot in the, in the paint, big helper responsibilities uh, to shading toward a good low post, all those things. If any of Tim's former video guys are watching this, and you have film of Tim yelling, don't guard the dork. Please send it along. I we just say dork him, dork him, dork him, dork him, dork him, dork him. Oh, I love that. That's good. Engage, engage the jaw. What was it? Engage the jaw. Uh, activate the and jaw. Dork him. Act, activate the jaw. Activate the jaw and dork him. First of all, I think people should oh, just man. take the 40% off right now. Subscribe to The Athletic because it's worth it just on this podcast alone. Oh, that's great. So uh, <laughs> that's pretty good, Timmy. All right. the I, I like the uh, one thing you said about the dork is is using the dork, if you're on the other team, as the screener. I've, I've seen, um, you know, one, one team that, at the NBA level that I think does this well is um, the Warriors with Draymond Green, they'll use him as a screener a lot of times when he's not being guarded on the perimeter, and it can end up freeing up shots for your shooters. Um, so that's one re- like really effective way, I think, to, to beat the dork, <laughs> so to speak. Um, pre-game speeches is the last part of this I, I wanted to hit on. It didn't sound like Musk like, gave like this crazy pre-game speech. He, um, the part Bennett quoted him on was, do you like this atmosphere? Then let's win today and bring him back. Um, which is a good good line, because it was it was is pretty hopping. I, I guess down at uh, Arkansas this weekend, and from from kind of following the game along on Twitter, I know people were saying it was pretty nuts down there. Um, but Tim, I've been in in locker rooms and um, heard pregame speeches before. Um, coaches all have their own unique way of of doing it. You know, sometimes it's just mostly going out over the scout, and then maybe you just give them one quick word. Um, you know, some coaches will just focus basically on, on the scouting report and then send them on their way. Um, I'm sure you, knowing you, you probably messed with it. And I've been in your locker room for some of these. You probably messed with it, um, your strategy for it all the time. Um, what, do you, what do you think is – what is the goal for a pregame speech? And uh, do you have any, any memorable ones? I feel like there's got to be a story here. Yeah, the goal is nobody gets hurt. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I, you always like, what'd you get done in practice day? Well, nobody got hurt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so really the goal is just don't hurt any feelings. But I, I have given, you know, the best rousing, uh, uh, thoughtful uh, pregame speeches where I've had assistant coaches come up to me like, coach, man, I've been with you six years. That was really good, honestly. And they're being complimentary. They're not just kissing your butt. And we go out and just get boat raced. And I've gone in and said, here's how it's going to go. Let's just uh, trap the post here, do that. And we've gone out and won. But one of my favorites is toughness. And I think this is what you're alluding to. Um, and and, and I got to tell you about this pregame speech because it's true. And it's, it's humorous, funny, uh, to a point. Uh, and, it, and it happened. So in 2014, we're making a run. We've won like four or five, six in a row, something like that in the Big Ten. And we had a stretch of, I think, 10 straight games where we held Big Ten opponents uh, less than 30 or less than 40% from the field. And that hadn't been done in a whole long time. So it was a team that was tough and gritty and defended, and we could switch a lot of stuff and switch stuff on the ball, and we rebounded well enough. And, and so we're at Michigan State. They're like eight or nine in the country. And we're just kind of coming on, you know. And, and this is the year that we end up as an at-large. And... And, and so it's a big year for us. But so the BTN, the Big Ten Network guy comes and says, Coach, you know, this is a Sunday night slot and there's hardly, we don't expect any, there's no other real game on of significance. We think this is going to be our largest share of any game that we've ever had and the most people watching. And he says, uh, do you think we could come in your locker room and get your, you know, uh, when you, the guys go out, you know, not your first speech, but your second little speech when they come back out and clear the floor and they clean the floor one more time, get ready for the anthem and all that. Can we bring the cameras in? Sure. Absolutely. I'm the youngest of five, attention seeker. You know, I will take any kind of promotion I can get. We have our own reality show at Colorado State. Like, I, I'm like, hell yeah, you can come in, man. I, we'll, we'll do this right. And so immediately I'm like, oh boy, I better come up with something. You know, so I'm not even thinking about Denzel Valentine, uh, Matt Costello, just all these these guys, Travis Trice, you know, uh, three guys in the NBA or whoever they've got. Um, and and I'm like, OK, I got to come up with a good speech. So one of the quotes I like is a, uh, from Pat Riley's book, The Winner Within, uh, that he wrote years and years ago. So I found that quote uh, from Pat Riley's dad and I went in and I and I um and the guys had been getting really frustrated at times during the season. So we were always talking about frustration and how to overcome frustration and all this stuff. And so I go in on the board. I've got all this stuff written up. And in the biggest, I erase it all. So it's a whiteboard, clean whiteboard. And in the thickest black marker, I write um, uh, togetherness and then greater sign. Um, togetherness is greater than frustration, right? Togetherness is greater than frustration. So, so. It's on there. Uh, guys come in. I've got my uh, my quote ready, and the cameras come in, and I kind of march around. I say, "Hey, boys, I tell you what, what an opportunity for us. Here we are, little old Nebraska, you know." And, and I said, "These Big Ten people, like Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan, they've been kicking sand in our face." Now, those of us that are old remember the skinny kid. And the girl at the beach that he was kind of favorable to, and he got sand kicked in his face. Finally, he went on this super milk kind of thing, and he, you know, like Ovaltine, and he came back strong and beat up the strong guy. Uh, he was tired of getting sand kicked in his face. So it was a cartoon. And so, um, uh, so I'm like, we're tired of getting sand kicked in our face, and we're not going to take it anymore. And, and I said, I'll tell you what, 
you know, the, the, there was a book, Pat Riley, who coached the Lakers in Showtime and New York Knicks and the Miami Heat to championships. He has a great saying in his book. When he was nine years old, he came home and told his dad, there's a guy at school, they're picking on me, dad, they're picking on me. Will you make them stop picking on me? And he says, son, you know, there comes a point in a time in everybody's life where I have to plant their feet, look that other guy square in the eye, and make a point about who they are now and who they're going to be the rest of their lives. And boys, that's us. That's why we're going to win this game tonight. And we're going to do it because we're, our togetherness is greater than our frustration. We're going to be tougher together longer. Our togetherness right here is going to be greater than their frustration. We all got that? You know, I'm like, yeah, let's go. You know, so then we always take a knee. And I don't tell them they have to pray. We don't pray out loud, but most of us pray. So I'm taking a knee and I'm down there and I'm not praying. I'm like, I hear the cameras, you know, running out. You hear the cords dragging in the locker room. It's perfectly quiet. And I'm thinking like, shit, that was pretty good. Like, I got it. I mean, I, I, I did it. Like, I, I nailed it, you know? I nailed that shit. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's great. So we get up, and Siobhan Shields, who's a two-time academic All-American, he's right there in the front row right in front of me, and he, he kind of laughs. He says, good one, coach. And I said, I'm serious. And he goes, no, good one. Tougherness? You can't even spell togetherness? I had spelled tougherness, not togetherness, is greater than frustration. <laughs> so... I misspell a word on national TV on the biggest BTN night, right? And it's up there, and I'm just like, yeah, tougherness is what I meant. It's togetherness and toughness combined. And you know what? When we win, we're going to put that shit on a T-shirt on Monday, right? Right, Pat? And Pat was our equipment guy sitting in the back. He goes, right, coach, who would never, he'd never say anything. So the guys, the guys are all like, yeah, right, right. And so I've just blown it, right? I'm like, screw you guys. So we're like, team on three, whatever. They walk out, yeah, right. You can't even spell. And we just whip them. I mean, we're never behind. Uh, Shields goes off for like 36, 37 points. We win at Breslin Arena. Uh, oh, no, not that time. We beat him another time after that. Terrain Petaway goes off, has about 30. Walt Pitchford has about 17. I had a kid, David uh, Rivers, didn't miss a shot, five for five, banked in a three. And so we beat him, and, uh, and it, it was great. And so sure enough, uh, we were, it was Sunday. We were off Monday. Tuesday when we came to practice, they were all wearing tougher-ness tougher uh, shirts. Um, uh, at practice, which was, I, I get chills just actually like you did about your chiefs. I get chills about tougherness. So I've got my own tougherness shirt. I've kept it. And, uh, and it's a great story cause it's true. And it tells you that it really doesn't matter what you say to them before the game or how bad you screw it up or what goes on, man, they're going to go out and do what they do. So don't overthink it. But that was a fun moment for the Oscars and me personally. I want a tougherness shirt. You got any, any saved? Yeah, I, I don't know if they have anymore. We made them one time. It was a one-time deal, man. I but, one. Yeah, I it was good. It was good. Maybe we need to make some Miles more Madness tougher in his shirts. If there's anything people <laughs> think about this podcast, it would be these three guys, tougherness. That's that's what I – C.J. Moore, Tim Miles, Michael Beller. It's about – they are tougherness. That's what they are. How do you think I en- endured that cold at the Chiefs game the other day? Screamed my ass off. It was it was tougherness. <laughs> my toes were about to fall off, but I but tougherness got me through it.
You're like the kicker for the replacements, the guy, the Irish Scottish guy or whatever that says I'm wiry. Uh-huh. Oh man. All right. Before we get out of here, I want to hit on one one last coaching point. Um, you alluded to my uh, my story on Kelvin Sampson and well and done. Nice video. Uh, nice video uh, support too. By the way, I appreciate it. You know, um, we are not a lot. I don't know even know if I should talk about this, but uh, I don't. Will. Then don't. <laughs> <laughs> we're not allowed to use uh, video for certain conferences anymore. Um, Big 12 being one of them, which just kills me because you found that out this morning when you had already posted. No, 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 no. That was an American game. The Americans not on the list. So why is the Big 12 well, not let you use video? That's that's like the there's the the Big Ten's not on the list either. But but I think it should be fine because it's like a, it's some kind of legality thing. But anyway, I mean, you're showing video examples. You're you're educating. To me, it, it should be allowed. We found out about a month ago. Hey, you're not. You, you can't do it for certain conferences. So, um, it's killing me because I really like to to write like that. Like I I like to show, um, use use that as support. So anyway, um, nice nice that I was able to uh, to do that on that story. But if you go to the to the piece um, about Kevin Kelvin Sampson uh, in Houston this weekend, they they monster the post. Um, which is, is basically like a double team meant to try to disrupt, right? Like your Virginia does it as well. I think Virginia and Houston probably do it as well as, well as anybody in the country. Um, there's it's, there's a difference between just doubling to get the ball out and doubling to, to like try to disrupt and get a steal. Um, Houston du- doubles to, to disrupt. So um, wanted to get your, your thoughts on that, Tim. I, I know we've talked about um, doubling the post on the podcast before, um, you know, you, you alluded to Michigan not doing it this year and just getting crushed. Um, are you a fan of, of, of how teams like Houston and, and, and Virginia do it? Because um, I am. Because to me, if you're going to double, like double to make something happen. Don't just double to, to necessarily because um, you're, you're scared of a guy. I, I like teams that do it like as a philosophy rather than just as a scout. Well, and the nice part about it is if you're committed to it is you recruit to it specifically. So you want that guy, mm-hmm. you need two really long guys and you recruit to that. And if your offensive philosophy works that they have enough skill, this, that, and the other thing, and they can do it and have the basketball wit uh, to get there with the timing and all that stuff, uh, I think that's, that's important. Steve Fisher also did it a lot when he was at Michigan and San Diego State. I'm not sure if Dutch is still doing it, but first of all, you'd rather play everybody one-on-one. Uh, so you stay out of rotation. Mm-hmm. But uh, we called it a Russian and uh, for two reasons. One is the first time I ever saw it was like 1991, and we played one of these Russian international teams when we were an NAI team, and they doubled the post big to big, and, and so I just called it a Russian double. And it also makes sense because we want them rushing in there. You know, it's a play on words for us too. Exactly. Um, yeah. You can yeah. also what we call dig to rotate which would be, let's say my man passes it in, I just turn and double, right? You can Laker cut double, which means if there's a pass in there and any cut off that post guy, some guys use that old uh, cut, they take a guy and cut him on the baseline or over the top. You can get to the level of the ball and then come double. And, and then you could also, what I call a monster, which is a perimeter guy, we, don't, we, we come from a one, just one perimeter guy and go double. So usually when you um, monster or Russian in my lingo, we don't rotate. We just recover back to the guy we left. 
Okay, I, I think that's you know important. So the ball goes in, and the first pass out you have to deny. You 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 can't let that easy pass out. The the you know in a quick matter of time you need your Russian or your big to big or what Kelvin calls his monster there, and now you've got your two biggest guys in there, and they are um, they're making life hell for that guy right. And, and, and so the biggest thing with that is you've got to have two guys to understand how to corral. So really that post double is almost like what a post has to do on a ball screen. If you're going to try and get the ball screen out of a guy's hands, you got to corral him. You don't just slide twice, let him kind of go around you, disrupt his, his momentum and then recover back. You're keeping him and you're showing him your chest and, and you guys are working in tandem, corralling him like you're trying to get a cow, you know, back into the corral, you know, uh, like, you're, you know, and like herding cats, right? So you're ganging up on them and you're, so it's, it's that, you know, he's coming in hard chest to chest. They're moving their feet, but they're also corralling that. They're not just going to let him out of that easy. And one of the best guys in the country was Ethan Happ getting out of those. He, he really knew how to use his dribble and then become a playmaker out of that. So we had to be really skillful on who we sent and how we sent him and when because Ethan would also long post it, which is intentionally get the ball further out from the low post and kind of dare you to double. And so there's all these little games going on that way. And then you might have to determine like, okay, this is when we'll go. His second dribble, his first dribble, maybe when he's going to, before he gets to the paint so we don't let him in the paint. And you got to have some decision makers that can go. And so there's going to be these back and forths. Um, I like doubling the post uh, when it when it when I think we need to. Uh, if you know some guys like you like Calvin, he's not doing it to protect his guy from foul trouble. He's doing it to disrupt the offense and take away one of the spots where you're most likely to foul or give up the highest percentage shot, the low post. Especially if it's a good low post, like in the Big Ten. You you know I mean the first thing we start every game plan with is are we going to post double, and how are we going to post double. Uh, are we going to dig to rotate? So that dig to rotate, remember, the guy in the wing passes it in. I go double. Now that next guy, like at the top of the key, has to come deny my guy. because So it's dig. I'm digging in. He's rotating. Everybody's like on a circle. And then like Calvin says, he's got his, um, what's his low guy? The uh, crack back. Yeah. So we call it the MIG. M-I-G. Most important guy. Low hole. You know, MIG has low hole. So there's always a low hole and a high hole. The low hole is the spot directly under the rim, right? The high hole is on the free throw line. Same thing if you're pressing a team like a 2-2-1 press, the high hole is half court. The low hole is the free throw line. As the ball gets closer to half court, it moves to the top of the key, toward the basket, and that high hole and low hole, because the ball, no matter what, what we tell our guys all the time, travels through the midline because the basket's on the midline. So eventually it's gonna travel through the, the ball is every possession gonna travel through the midline. And the midline, that, that, that line from the point of the rim to the, the front of the rim, and there's a high hole and a low hole you have to occupy as often as possible to stop, to be a good defensive team. And so it really is all five guys. Not one guy rarely gets beat. It's almost always all five guys that have to play a role one way or another to stop another team. And with Calvin, the one thing about doubling the post is it gets your help on the midline. 
it forces if if they don't double, he might not necessarily get to the midline, and now he's not in a good spot picking up a cutter or whatever it might be. He could be just a foot and a half, two feet too far out toward his man, and do that unnecessarily. So it the the good news is it also makes your help more active and more aware than if they're just playing straight up. So there's a lot of advantages, although the disadvantage is it starts a rotation. And the idea of defense mm-hmm. in the pack line is to stay out of rotation. In fact, a guy like Mike Dunlap, who's a highly successful Division II coach, won national championships, he says uh, help and recovery is not possible in man-to-man. It all, in fact, pressure, anytime you are, are trying to disrupt in any way, there's got to be rotation. And you can never rotate and end up back man. So he played a 2-3 two, a two, zone that rotated within the possession. A guard could end up as a forward. A forward could end up as a guard. The center could end up out as a forward. And because they were always disrupting different things, might have been a ball screen, might be a certain player, could be a low post catch. So, you know, there, there's all this, you know, piece of chalk glass stuff that you can do that's fun. And you just have to figure out what's right for you personally. And we do teach the Russian double as a staple, but we don't use it every game. You know, I, I think that was, uh, with, with Samson, I think, What's so great about what they do is is they teach it so well, and and like you said, he recruits to it. Um, he he told me that you know they don't care about finding guys that you can throw it to in the post because because they don't throw it to the post. They barely ever do. Um, it's all about you know finding guys that can block shots, can be disruptors in that in the monster. Um, so I think he does a really good job of kind of recruiting to his system. But um, big big time win for uh, for Houston this weekend at, at Wichita State. That was an impressive performance. I think they debuted in the top twenty five um, this week. I believe they're at twenty five. So that's a team on the on the rise. And um, it's man, he's he is just such a such a good coach. I, I I think he's he's one of the best in the in the country. And it's cool to see him uh, doing it at a high level again after after uh, what he went through at, at Indiana. But um, we need to wrap up here. Want everybody to please subscribe, like, and review the podcast. Um, remember, for forty percent off a subscription to the Athletic, you can go to theathletic.com/slash miles more. That's miles, like as in Tim's last name, and more M O O R E. Or sorry, bleh, I can't talk. M O O R E. Can't even spell my last name. All right, so uh, got that out of the way. Also, want to make sure everybody checks out. New podcast from our producer, Michael Beller, and Brian Bennett, referenced on uh, today's podcast, who did that fine Arkansas article. Their new podcast is called Bracket Madness. I'm planning on listening tomorrow on my way to Lawrence for the KUK State game. Tim, you've got Marquette and St. John's tomorrow, right? And uh, I believe you had a factoid on uh, Marcus Howard, who is just putting up ridiculous numbers that you, you wanted to get out before we get out of here. Yeah, so Marcus Howard on the all-time scoring list is uh, – let me just find it here in one second. So he is four points – you mute your phone, it help. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Too late. So he is 94th all-time, and he's uh, four points from Steve Al- tying Steve Alford, six points from Chris Mullen, and 22 from catching Glenn Rice. Oh, I'm sorry. How about that? Hang on. Yeah. No, no, no. He's eight from Glenn Rice and 22 from tying Christian Leitner. So it's Leitner, Rice, Mullen, and Alford. And he could catch them all within tomorrow night's game. How uh, how about that? Like, 
how, how, how high does your chest have to be after that? If you come out of a game, yeah, I just passed uh, like four college basketball legends. Although, if you quiz the Marquette and St. John team, St. John's teams, how many of those guys do you think they would actually know who they were? Now, I hope the St. John's guys would know who Chris Mullen was because he did just coach them pretty recently. But <laughs> how, how many on those two rosters do you think could, uh, could, could, would be like, yeah, I know who all four of those guys are? I, I'm going to just say two things, and then I'm going to wrap up. One, not enough. Two, so I've had recruits in the past few years, and I'm like, hey, did you watch our game? Yeah. And uh, I said, oh, then did you see this? Well, no, no, coach, I saw the highlights on Instagram. I wish they would watch. Like, when I was a kid, I was, it was, uh, and tomorrow night's the Al night at Marquette, uh, you know, honoring Al McGuire. And Al McGuire, mm -hmm. Billy Packer, Dick Enberg doing those NBC games when I was a kid. I used to just love to listen to them, you know, and uh, and I, you just you'd hang on every word, you know, trying to listen to somebody, you know, that's an expert, quote unquote. Uh, and um, and I always loved Marquette because they had the coolest uniforms, man, untucked, checks on the side, light blue, just awesome stuff. Good, good stuff. Now these poor kids today, though, they tune in, and some guy named Tim Miles is on the broadcast they're listening to, and and uh, Jawan Howard's like, who, who's that? And yeah, it's 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 tough for kids today. It is tough break. <laughs> All right, thanks everybody for uh, for joining us. Um, remember to stay efficient, America. Sunflower seeds, one at a time, everybody.